0: Father, we just ask that you would would meet us now. Oh, Lord, what a way to to start a day together as as a family. I pray that we would would know your presence with us. And so, Father, would you make your presence known? I pray that that you would release the gifts of your spirit. I pray that that you would be with us, that you would reveal your, your word to us today. In Jesus' name. You may have a seat unless you are a youngin. If you're a youngin, get on up and get out of here. You got your teachers in the back ready for you? I'll get all situated while they're moving out. And while, they're, while they are headed out, um, would you just join me with a, just a, a breath prayer as they go? Jesus, protect our kids. Uh, be with our kids. Lord, would you reveal yourself to our kids? I just, I love watching them go, um, even though it does take so much life out of the room. Um. I'm also looking forward to uh, something coming up in, uh, uh, oh man, I guess it's in three weeks. In three weeks, I get my first Sunday being a Sunday school teacher. I am looking forward to that. Um, I don't know what y'all are going to do up here, but I'm I'm looking forward to being with the kids downstairs. Um, That's going to be a good time. Anyway, we got some stuff to do here while they're downstairs doing their thing. We are in the final week of our Summer of Heroes. We are, uh, this series began 12, can you believe it? 12 weeks ago, we started this uh, journey through scripture from the lens of Hebrews chapter 11. 12 weeks in one chapter of scripture. And I've gotten a couple of uh, comments like, how many times can you beat a dead horse? And man, I get it. I hear you. Um, my answer to that question is at least one more time. We're going to get one more, one last beating into that dead horse. We're going to get that done today. Uh, Now, the author of, of, of Hebrews is communicating to the original hearers and to the current readers of the letter an encouragement to hold fast to their faith and not lose the hope that the sacrificial gift of Jesus that we just sang about is evidence that God will fulfill his promises to creation. That's a pretty awesome purpose for that letter. To accomplish that, to bring forth this encouragement, the author dives into the history of God's interaction with the nation of Israel to make the point that God is who he says that he is, and he does what he says that he's going to do. This message is, is important for us today uh, because, really, like every other era in history, we have the realities of life and the pressures of culture bearing down on us that can lead us to to the question of the presence and the reality of the living God. That's as true for us today as it was for the nation of Israel, as it was for the early church, as it was in every era of history from creation forward. Now also like every era of history, we face the temptation to experience these realities and pressures as though we are the main characters of a drama being played out in the space that we occupy. It can be tempting to to live in a paradigm where we are the story rather than a part of a story that includes us but isn't centered around us. I'm sure none of you struggle with that, uh, but that's certainly a struggle for me. I am... uh, aware of that, especially as we've kind of unpacked this. Uh, personally, this series has, has revealed to me uh, something that, that I've had to deal with. I've navigated a lot of my life more interested in God participating with me rather than being inclined to participate with him. I want to say that again because I, I, this really is something that, that I think I, I was aware of but it didn't really hit me how deep it goes until we actually walked through 12 weeks of Hebrews 11. I have been far more interested in God participating in my life than I have been in participating in his plan of reconciliation with the world. I've asked God's intervention as a response to discomfort. I've asked him to intervene in times of tragedy, adversity, um, but then... When, those time, when, when I meet that, when I get that comfort, when I feel his presence in those, I've got less, interested in, I have less interest in God's participation when it comes to my desires and ambitions. So I want him to be in my tragedies, I want him to be in my discomfort, but maybe not so much in my ambitions and desires. I want God to save me from negative consequences. I want him to bless me with positive consequences... And I want him to do all of that at arm's length so I can enjoy my life without my sovereignty being encroached. That's what's been revealed to me as we have unpacked Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I want to make this point clear, and hopefully I made this as we went through uh, these stories this summer. Asking God to intervene in my life is an entry point for relationship with him. That is not in and of itself a bad thing. That's not something to avoid. In fact, that's something that we all share likely as a common beginning to our walk with Jesus, is that we've asked Jesus to intervene in a time of trouble or a time of struggle. That's not bad. That should be encouraged, and that's something that we should offer to people in the time between the Sundays. But to stay there, to stay at the beginning, to stay at that entry point of relationship, means that I will never actually see the end of the relationship. I will never see the relationship develop because I'm stuck at the entry point. The journey of faith gives us an opportunity for a paradigm shift, for for a movement from a desire to have God participate in my life to an invitation to participate with his plan for the world. A product of this participation is right relationship the word righteousness, and faith that God is who he says that he is and that he will continue to do the things that he's told us that he'll do. Now each of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 walked a journey that revealed another layer to this. They revealed that the promise of salvation says more about God than it does about us. Our salvation is more about God than it is about us. We talked about that last week at length. If salvation could be earned, if it could be a product of of one work, if it could be a product of achievement or progress, then salvation could be about us. But it isn't. Salvation is an outcome of having faith that Jesus is who Scripture says that he is, And that he is the ultimate substitutionary sacrifice. So salvation is an outcome of faith. And what we've seen this summer is that faith is a product of participation. The faith of these heroes in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is manifest in their endurance but also that they are enduring for a plan that's not their own. Their endurance at times seems superhuman, exceptional, outside of what's possible for for an average Christian like me. But if salvation is more about God than it is about us, by extension, all of these stories that we've seen are more about God than they are about the heroes of faith. So, all of Hebrews 11, all of the inspiration, all of, of the encouragement doesn't come from what these people were able to do. It comes from who God is. All of these stories tell us more about God than they do about the heroes of faith. So, let's return to where we started so many weeks ago Hebrews 11. Verses 1 through 3. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. That is a huge encouragement. Reading that passage today, after three months of considering Hebrews 11 together, it leads me to notice different things about this scripture, different things that we talked about when we first started. Having a better, better understanding of, of the story being about God, I see this passage uh, reveals that our faith in God can be a seed planted in the soil of creation. Everything coming from His creation which means everything comes from his intention the very act of creation nurtures faith because god created things to love so creation testifies to the character of god so that knowing that all things were formed by the command of the father were formed by the father that loves knowing that all of our circumstances must be passed through the lens of God's faithfulness allows us to know who God is and with that knowledge we can utilize an intuition about how he might engage with us. So the writer of Hebrews is communicating this to the readers because they were in the midst of real persecution. From the context of the rest of of the letter, from the rest of the book of Hebrews, we can see that the the audience had experienced their leaders being murdered for for their faith, but also being murdered for teaching. They'd been treated poorly by the secular and the non-Christian community. They'd been harassed. They'd been stolen from. They'd been threatened. And they live under the constant threat of deeper persecution to come. And indeed, we know from history that deeper persecution would come. The answer to this persecution, the answer that the the writer of this letter provides is a presentation of our family history. In the midst of all of that persecution, the way that that the the author of the, the letter of Hebrews answers is a presentation of our family history. What this does is it both normalizes hardship as it relates to following Jesus, but it also gives us a template for encouragement. Men and women in our spiritual lineage had endured before so it can be done again. I feel like I get an amen from that, Brad. Amen. Amen. It can be done again. After this presentation of heroes that we, we, we saw in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews turns from this pep talk into a releasing or into a launching to jump into the fray and participate with God in his plan. And that is how we're going to end our summer together here at the Vineyard. Hebrews chapter 12. Some of you are saying, yes, he left Hebrews 11. (laughs) It only took us three months. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith... Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening it's painful but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way so take a new grip with your tired hands And strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. What I love about this passage, well one thing is it's not about behavior. I love how this passage testifies to the fact that the followers of Jesus have a goal. the goal that this passage reveals to us is not the goal to get to heaven. It's not to work for an answer to the question of where you're going to go when you die. It's not the goal that's presented through Hebrews 12. As William Barclay put it, the Christian is not a tourist that returns each night to the place that they start or an unconcerned stroller on the byways of life. They are wayfarers on the high road. A pilgrim who is ever on their way, asking each night, Am I further on? The goal is nothing less than the likeness of Christ. So we have a goal to be like Jesus. On the journey to this goal, we have inspiration and we have encouragement. This cloud of witnesses. What a picture, especially coming on the heels of, of going through all of Hebrews chapter 11. The cloud of witnesses, the group that we've studied all summer, and so many more, they've shown us that this task is possible. It isn't just the, the, the Hebrews 11 cloud of witnesses. We have them all here. I have one, a member of, of our vineyard family. I can't talk about him without getting choked up. But I see him often riding his bike through the heights. And every time I see him, I remember every time that he prayed for me. I remember everything that he's taught me. And I just get filled with this motivation to pass that on and to be more like this man. And all he's doing is riding his bike. And I wave at him every time and he never waves back. Because <laughs> he doesn't know it's me. but having this cloud of witnesses that includes all of us together. I can be somewhere that's not here in this building. I can be out in the time between the Sundays. I can see this man, and I am fortified and ready for the fight. And so we have a goal, but we have inspiration and encouragement in this cloud of witnesses. Many that have shown us that the task is possible. It's possible for people like me. It's possible for people like us. It's possible for people that have fought every type of sin and every type of hardship. They made it. And they're making it is an inspiration for us to do the same. When I think about what a cloud might do, this cloud of witnesses, the only, the only word that I can think of uh, for this is enveloped. And so as we are enveloped by this inspiration, we also know that we are handicapped by our own sin. We have areas in our life that, that we have yet to open to God that have remained hidden. We're tempted to engage in competitive survival. We fight the battle of gratification and, and competition. We fill voids with things that are other than God. And when this reality exists, we're weighed down on the journey of faith. We're weighed down by our own sin. One thing that we know is that in order to travel far, we must travel light. Traveling light Is a process that we know as sanctification. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that uses relationship with God, knowledge of Scripture, and the awareness and activity of a loving community to help us shed the weight of sin. Knowledge of Scripture relationship with God, and the awareness of a loving community. That awareness works in two ways. We need to be aware that we are a part of a community where we matter. You need to know that, that when, when your absence is, is here, is, when you are not here, your absence is felt. Now, I don't bring that up to, to cause guilt. Like, you better come to church. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. What I'm, what I'm trying to make is that, that there is a re- reciprocity here, the, the awareness that your loving community is here to support you, but also that we need you as well. And it is through community, it's through Scripture and relationship with God that we see this weight actually fall off. This is not the endurance that, that passive, passively accepts what comes our way, either. This, the, the, the Greek word... Here, the Greek word used for endurance. It's in this chapter. The Greek word that comes when we start to traveling, start traveling light, is hippomone. I break that out in pieces in my notes so I don't trip over it, and it doesn't mean I won't trip over it. Hippomane, and I, I even say it more than once just to set it in my mind. Hippomone. hippomane. Steadfast endurance is is what comes when we are able to utilize the knowledge of Scripture, relationship with God, and the awareness of a loving community to shed off our sin. We have steadfast endurance, hippomane. If I say that enough, you might actually think that I speak Greek, hippomane. But this is not the endurance that passively accepts what comes our way. Think about how many people you have, re- have interacted with in your life that just passively accepts what comes their way. There is a special kind of strength in that. Just to, to be able to, to go through life. Take what comes. But that's not the type of endurance that's utilized in this passage. This word does not mean passive endurance. Hippomone means that we endure through mastery. How cool is that? We endure through mastery. We master the journey by applying faith to every circumstance. That's the legacy of our spiritual ancestors that we saw in Hebrews chapter 11. Application of the knowledge of God's presence in his story and trusting that the story is about him and he is good and perfect. Perfect. The power of that knowledge defeats anything that the kingdom of the air can throw at us. Now, in case that cloud of witnesses isn't enough, Hebrews 12 12 gives us another example. We have the example of Christ. Jesus endured Hippomone. Jesus, Hippomanade, all things on his way to the cross. The cross was humiliating. A death reserved for criminals. A death, a sentence that was reserved for the dumpster of humanity. He went to the cross. He submitted himself to the plan of the Father. He endured all things. And he beckoned us to do the same. So in this, we now have a really sweet reality in that Jesus serves as both the goal of our journey, but also a companion for the journey. And so we press on, led by our Savior, surrounded by a cloud of inspiration, with the glory of the goal before us, and in the company of he who has already made the journey, waiting for us at the end. The reality of this close personal relationship with Jesus Christ is expressed in obedience to his word, and it's also essential to effective discipleship. Over the next several months, we're going to spend a lot of time, not 12 weeks, but we're going to spend a lot of time utilizing John 15 as a, as a template for what we talk about next. It says this. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. In many uh, versions of Scripture, you will see that word remain, be abide. Abide in me, I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you abide in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you Even as the Father loved me, remain in my love. Now, let me say this about that verse. I think early in my walk with Jesus, that that verse or that that passage gave me a little bit of a, uh, a pause because I got concerned about the potential for losing salvation. This is not about losing salvation, this is not about things that don't exist, like lost salvation. What this is about is a reality. The reality of of remaining in Jesus. This is about where we draw life from. What Jesus is saying is, if you draw life from me, you will bear fruit. If you don't draw life from me, you will die and wither. This isn't about behavior. This isn't about continuing to be good enough to remain in his love. That's not what it's about. It's about this simple question, where do you draw life from? Drawing life from Jesus bears much fruit. Drawing life from anything else leads to death. Matthew 24, 10, Jesus says this, and many will, will turn away from me and betray And hate each other. I want to stop there for a second. This just occurs to me as I'm reading this. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Uh, Betray and hate each other and turn away from me are two things that are put uh, together in this passage. And so when we betray and hate each other, we have turned from the, the source of life. And so when we have betrayal uh, as an activity, when we have hate towards each other, we have actually put ourselves in a place of we are not drawing life from the vine any longer. And so this is a a good place for us to to pause for a moment and, and really search our hearts. Because if we have hate in our hearts, if we are betraying relationship, then what we know is that we are not drawing life from the vine and we can stop and take stock of this situation. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Hebrews 11 gave us many examples of how our spiritual ancestors walked that out exactly in their lives. They faced hard things. And they found the truth that hard things train us. One thing I shared uh, a a while ago that continues to be true and, and is something that we can hold onto as a Vineyard family motto, that hard things are cool. This passage of Hebrews 12, wrapped within the mantle of endurance, gives us a nod towards the reality that hard things have happened, hard things do happen, And hard things will happen again. The hard things will accomplish a purpose. They will either sink us or they'll sustain us. This call to discipline in Hebrews 12, through the the lens of endurance, is about allowing the hard things to make us more like Jesus. transiting hard things lead to discipline and discipline is not about punishment it's about endurance it's about participation with god and observing is god remains faithful to his character discipline is about love it's about growth and it proves the faithfulness of god Colossians 3, Paul writes, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We do all this to follow Jesus. All of that is about following Jesus. But did you see, did you remember how the passage Hebrews 12 ended? After the call to strengthen our hands and our knees, we're also called to lead, to take our place in the cloud of witnesses for others. The final point in our summer together. Faith leads to edification. The building up and strengthening in the faith of the believers around us, which means the edification of the church. Our faith makes others stronger. And when we are stronger together, the church is strong. All of this, 12 weeks, comes down to that point. Faith leads to edification. We are strengthened by God and we're urged to build up one another. That's really the only thing that makes us a church rather than people that come to the same building at the same time on the same day. Faith leading to edification makes us a church. First Peter, Peter put it this way, you're coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, Vineyard, are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. Twelve weeks. Faith is a product of participation. Participation with God but also participation with each other as we press on towards this goal with steadfast endurance. The journey is hard. It will get more hard, harder. Greek and English give me trouble. In the midst of the hardship, we are surrounded by inspiration. We are joined by the living stones that God called to build the Vineyard Church. That's pretty dang cool. So what that means is that we have God. It means that we have each other. We have a man that rides his bike around the heights, and I know he's praying for us. And all of that means that we have a story to join. The story is not about us. The story is about God. We can be thankful for the testimony of those that went before us as we step into making a testimony for those that are going to come after. And with that, our summer is over. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would release the gifts of your spirit here now. I pray that you would meet us. I pray that we could feel you and your presence in the natural. And I pray, Father, that as we become aware of your activity amongst us, I pray that we also could feel the inspiration and the encouragement of the cloud of witnesses that you have called to beckon us forward. I pray, Father, that we could see all of those that have gone before us into the hard things. And I pray that that as we see all of those things that have been revealed to us in Hebrews 11, that we would know the story's not about them, it's about you and that you were there too. And so Father, would you be there for us now? I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward and as we re-enter a time of worship, I'm also gonna open it up for anything that you might need prayer for. If you're in a place where you need a little bit of encouragement or inspiration, I would encourage you to come and receive prayer. That steadfast endurance, that endurance of mastery rather than the passive of just allowing things to happen and dealing with them. But also, if you are in a place where you want to feel the reality of of the living stones of the church form around you and fight with you I'd encourage you to come for prayer for that too and simply this if you just need prayer